Welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, sponsored by Moda Fabrics, Baby Lock, The Electric Quilt Company, and Northcott. We have a terrific show filled with tips and tricks for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan. You know, it's very exciting to see something new and different in a quilt. You know, I've seen a lot of quilts, but there's always something new going on and something that catches my eye. And in this case, it was something very sparkly and gem-like. Not really maybe sparkly, but gem-like for sure. MJ McKin, or uh, Kinman, sorry, MJ Kinman is the artist, textile artist behind these gem-inspired quilts. And I needed to know much more about it. So MJ, I'm so glad that you could come on here and tell me about your work. Hi, Pat. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. You know, when I, I don't even know where I first saw one of your quilts, but I was, you know, did that sort of down the rabbit hole to figure out where you were once I saw them. Um, you know, first tell me a little bit about, about your backstory. You know, when did you start making quilts? Oh, sure, sure. I learned how to quilt with my beautiful mom um, about 30 years ago. It was 1987. I like to joke that I was three, but yes. that's not true. Um, <laughs> she and I learned, how to, and I was a poor social worker at the time, and I had always known that I wanted to use quilts in my home, in my little dingy apartments to add color and life and warmth to my surroundings. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I you know, we did our little five sampler, uh, five-patch, five-block sampler with the mm-hmm. card trick and the Don't Drunkard's Path and the eight-point star and all of that, and I was hooked. I had learned how to quilt in 4-H when I was a kid growing up in Hastings, Nebraska, and um, I've always loved fabric, but the idea of using fabric as art just mm-hmm. absolutely enthralled me. So I always knew that I wanted to hang quilts on the walls. And so, um, just to, just to kind of continue that, after I learned how to quilt, a couple of years later, this gemstone arrived in my mailbox. It, it, it was an image of a gemstone. Okay. And, <laughs> I was going to say, I yeah. would get gemstones in my mailbox, MJ. That's like, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, exactly. Um, image, image, image of my gemst- of a right. gemstone. And I was enthralled with it. You know, I had just learned how to quilt. I knew the basics. And I thought to myself, you know, this is just straight lines. I bet I could make a quilt out of it. I had no clue, Pat, how to do it. And, but it, it just, it just hung with me, that idea. And over the course of the next several years, I took lots of classes and read lots of books, you know, by Paula Nadelstern and Ruth McDowell and Dixie Haywood and Jane Hall. And when I found Cynthia England's, um, freezer paper piecing technique, it was like light bulbs just exploded. And I'm like, that's how I'm going to make it. And seven years later, I made my first diamond quilt. So were you making quilts in between, or were you just sort of planning about quilts? Well, I was making quilts, all kinds of traditional quilts. Okay. I was making um, mostly Amish quilts. You know, my mom was raised in the Mennonite tradition, and she has Amish ancestors. So we always joked that it was sort of in our cultural DNA, uh, the love of quilts, because both, obviously, communities have a strong quilting mm-hmm. uh, history. Yeah. And um, so I was making a lot of uh, Amish quilts and traditional quilts. And then just over the last few years, you know, I, I started making T-shirt quilts for friends. I probably made over 300 T-shirt quilts for people over, you know, over the over the 15 or 20 years I've been doing it. But mm-hmm. also dabbling in the gems. Yeah. Well, when, when MJ says gem, think 
like a diamond, and that's what it is with all the sparkly sort of fractures that the light hits. That's what yeah. she's recreating in her quilts. All of yeah. this texture, you know, texture via the fabric placement. Um, yeah. What was the first one you did? Oh, that's a, oh, it's solitaire. It, it was a replica of the image I saw on that flyer that arrived okay. in my mailbox, and it was a unique gemstone in that it was a twelve-faceted, brilliant solitaire. Most traditional brilliant solitaires have eight facets. They have little, eight little, you know, facets that kind of go ring around the rosy, around the crown and the pavilion of the, of the, of the gemstone. I have learned a lot in the last, you know, 20 years about gemology. I'm not an expert, but I know just a little enough to be dangerous. I was just um, going to ask you, did you know anything about gems prior to this? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Not at all. In fact, I, you know, as I was looking at this image, I'm like, how will I put this together? Because, you know, I had always done quilts where there might have been two or three or four templates, right? And it was you, you cut them out with your – you lay the fabric on your piece of sandpaper with your template. You know, that was before rotary cutters came along. That was like 100 years ago. And I looked at these gemstones and I thought, you know what? Every block is going to be – a diff- every template's going to be a different shape. How am I going to keep track of it? How am I going to create these templates? How, what kind of coding process? And so that was what I had to learn over the course of the years was how am I going to put this together? Um, and then, you know, once I cut all that fabric apart, how am I going to have the visual clues and the codes and the key to putting it back together again? And so, Pat, really, the, the, the key is the faceting pattern. In my trunk shows, I talk a lot about um, these are just block quilts albeit wonky blocks, but they right. are facet. They are, they are block quilts. And the blocks are the facets. And there's an, an anatomy to uh, gemstones. You know, in typical gemstones, for example, a solitaire, you'll have the table facet. You'll have the bezel facets around it. I call them the little kite facets. The star facets, the girdle facets, and then, um, the, you know, it, it, and that's basically what makes up the anatomy of, 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 a, of a gemstone. If you can spot those facets... You nailed it. You can put that thing back together. And that's what happened when I was, I was living out in a log cabin in the woods in, in Kentucky. My husband and I had moved out there and, um, I was, I remember just staring at this image and dang, all of a sudden it hit me and I saw the facets, the eight, you know, 12 little facets around and I'm like, this is how I'm going to put it together. Yeah, one of the interesting things is that you, when looking on your website, you can see, um, a few of the, pieces that are you have like one particular where it's just the block itself where you could actually see the construction to get an idea because it's in quadrants but they're not identical quadrants like a lot of traditional quilt blocks would be each quadrant is uh, fractured you know and split to give all of those uh, facets that you're talking about which is really fascinating look at the ones on your I think it's I don't know which page I'm on. Maybe it's the pattern page or something. Yeah, the pattern okay. page. So people can look okay. there and really see that detail uh, that MJ is talking about. Uh, now, you um, have, um, how many of these patterns, how many of gems have you done? Oh, well, I, I am lucky enough to have a foot in, in one foot in the art world and one foot in sort of the, 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 the quilting crafter maker world. And both just bring me great joy. So um, I have probably made about two dozen art quilts and these are quilts that I don't make patterns of they're one of a kind okay. uh, for example I just installed one at Maker's Mark it's nine foot tall four and a half foot wide it's a drop of giant bourbon or it's a flame infused with bourbon 
So I've made probably about um, maybe a, a dozen or two of the two dozen of those, and then. On the other side, you know, Jeff just recently started making patterns for other quilt makers who might want a little bit of bling in their life. And I, you know, I quit my job as a project manager for a Fortune 100 company about five years ago because in my heart and my head was basically telling me, get out and do something with the diamonds. And I didn't know what I was going to do, and I engaged a coach, and she helped me kind of find my way. She's a wonderful woman. And so I thought, you know, maybe patterns, maybe other people would enjoy doing this. So a year ago, I released a series of 12 traditional birthstone patterns, all in unique cuts. Um, you know, so it's the January's the garnet, the February's the amethyst, and so on. And that was a wonderful experience. And right now, actually, right now, I'm, I'm cutting up and figuring out the yardages for the next uh, pattern I'm going to put out. It's going to be released in May. It's part of my Diamond Divas series. Um, they are larger gemstones. They're about going to be about 34 square or 36 inch square uh, round, and they're inspired by leaders who happen to be women. So this first one's yeah. called the Elizabeth. She's a four patch. She's going to be a princess cut diamond, and she's going to come out in four ways. So yeah, I mean, all sorts of inspiration kind of popping around here. They're just totally beautiful. So, I mean, I would like to see one in person someday because they just, they must be spectacular in person because uh, they're oh. incredible <laughs> online, you know, just like, wow, look at all the gems. Um, now, you also, we, we only have about two minutes, MJ. So you also are starting to do some fabric that will be specific for this? Um, actually, I am working with Northcott. Uh, they have uh, designed a fabric line inspired by one of my art quilts called Lila, and that's a lot of fun. So that's shipping to shops right now. And so, uh, I, and I've designed four patterns for that. So people can uh, go check with their independent quilt shop uh, or their favorite online e-retailer and find the facets by MJ Kinman. Um, the big things that are on the horizon for the for the coming year is that I have um, it, it's you know I'm kind of shifting back and mm-hmm. forth between again the quilt making community and the art quilts and I think I need to move back to the art quilts. Um, I have just gotten the green light to do a series that's inspired by the National Gem Collection at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. And, of course, that includes wow. diamonds like the Hulk Diamond and the Hooker yeah. Emerald and the Blue Heart. Just so wow. exciting about that. And that will eventually turn into a series of patterns also inspired by those. So people will be able to, you know, play with their own interpretations of the National Gem Collection as well. Wow. that That is, that is quite an honor to get access oh. to. Goosebumps. Yes. Yes. Goosebump moment for sure. I'm getting them. It's like for you. (laughs) Oh, oh gosh. Well, we just, we just only have like about a minute. So what is actually, tell me what is on your cutting table right now. Oh, um, again, it's it's Elizabeth. It's the okay. uh, quilt, the, the the pattern that's coming out. Um, also, I have just a few more stitches to put in a commissioned quilt through the University of Louisville, the Kent School of Social Work. They asked me if I would collaborate with them to create a big piece that they're going to auction off. Um, wow. And it is a big uh, faceted dove with a uh, um, an olive branch in her mouth, and the olives are emeralds. 
and sayings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela. And basically what we're going to do is use the, the funds that we raise from this to fund a graduate pro, a student to write their doctor, a doctoral student to write their thesis on um, how to heal our communities from racism. So keep an eye out okay. for that, and you can yeah. find all that information at my website, www.mjkinman.com. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, MJ. This has been a pleasure. Oh, it has been for me, too. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, we'll be right back. Moda Fabrics started in 1975 as United Notions. Today, Moda Fabrics leads the way with innovative fabrics designed in-house and by many of the industry's most popular designers and creative talents. As for United Notions, it continues to distribute the very best notions, books, patterns, and supplies available. Moda Fabrics and Supplies is what you may hear them go by now, but they still have the same great products and customer service they've had for more than 40 years. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest in fabric and notion. Want to design your own quilts? Now you can with Electric Quilt 8 software. Design quilts, blocks, and import your favorite fabrics. Or use any of the thousands of designs in the library. Podcast listeners, take 20% off your purchase through May 31st, 2019 with code PODEQ8. That's P-O-D-E-Q-8. Get more info at electricquilt.com slash APQ. Podcast. I'm Pat Sloan. You have probably seen uh, Renee Minardi Morrison's work, uh, and definitely her name if you're in the Modern Quilt Guild, because she is one of the people who you get a lot of communication from, and possibly are seeing you know things when you've gone to the show. But in you know what she also does as her as an artist is amazing uh, quilts that are have a lot of meeting, they have a lot of uh, handwork in them, and they're just gorgeous. So, Rianne, I'm just thrilled that uh, you, get a, you get to be with me for a few minutes. I get to steal you away from everything. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to be talking to you. Yeah. So when did you discover quilts? Um, so I, I guess quilts have always been in my life, but I, uh, I actually learned to quilt from my grandmother, um, I was 21, and after uh, I had graduated college, I wanted to learn how to make garments, and she was like, well, let's just start with a quilt instead. So, <laughs> so that was fun. So, yeah, we uh, we picked out a quilt pattern together, and she uh, taught me how to quilt and read a pattern, and um, that was that was it. That was about eight years ago. Yeah. Did, did she let you make any clothing or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she told me at the time that quilts would be easier because there were just oh. straight lines. Yeah. So she was an expert quilter. So, um, no, I never actually did make a garment. And to this day, I'm not a garment sewer at all. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that kind of cracks me up. No, let's start with a quilt. You know, that's what she wants to make. So you'll get to start with a quilt, too. Um, exactly. Well, you know, 
I assume that when you started, you probably made somewhat traditional quilts, and your quilts now are just so expressive and have such a, a – they're very clean, they're very minimalist, uh, and they're sort of upscaled. How did you go – how did you get into this style? Oh, that's a good question. So I um, I actually remember, like, the first time I actually felt linen, uh, the linen cotton blend that a lot of quilters use, and I just fell in love with the texture. Um, and so as I – started making more work I really like I wanted to um, scale back the complexity of my piecing and kind of let those materials shine um, so I started with the fabric and then I uh, you know learned how to piece these big um, kind of graphic areas of of quilting uh, in the piecing and I, I just really I love it I love large-scale piecing I love how it creates the background for hand quilting um, and just the, the big, bold shapes that it makes. So, yeah, I just I love letting those materials and quilting shine. So tell me a little bit about that material, because a lot of quilters uh, don't venture out of 100% cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I use a mix. Um, I think it's like a, a 40-60 blend of cotton okay. and linen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works. I mean, it's, it's easy to use in quilts. Um, it has a little bit more stretch, so you have to be a little bit more careful about bias okay. uh, edges. But, yeah, it's, it's great. I love the heft of it. It's just It feels heavy, and it feels luxurious, mm-hmm. like you said. Does it have a little bit of a texture to it, like a nubbiness somewhat? Yeah, somewhat. It's not quite as smooth as some of the quilting cottons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weave is a little bit wider as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love different textured fabrics. So that totally, that totally appeals to me. Um, mm-hmm. When you first when you first started building these pieces, uh, what you're doing now, you're hand quilting them. Did you start out that way? Yeah, so it's funny because that first quilt that my grandma and I uh, made together, she, it was a queen size, and she said, "Well, you're going to love this quilt so much more as your first one um, if you hand quilt it." And at the time, I was I was like, "Oh my goodness, you what do you want me to do? <laughs> this seems impossible." Um, so we did start hand quilting. She taught me how to rock the needle, um, and I just could not get the hang of it. So it's actually, it's really ironic now that I do all my pieces by hand. Um, but I actually, I I fell in love with hand quilting when I found, um, Big Stitch. And, uh, in all my quilts now, I use, um, Sashiko thread, which is kind of like a pearl cotton, so a bit bigger. And I think it's a lot easier to use, um, especially for beginner hand quilters. Now, when you're doing the hand quilting, you know, so people who haven't done big stitch before, maybe they talk, took, you know, a beginning hand, a beginning quilting class and they learn, you know, little tiny stitches were the goal when you often take a beginning quilting class. Um, describe what it is so we kind of get the feel for it. Um, yeah, so big stitch, um, it doesn't really, uh, they're kind of made to stand out. And so what I love about it most is that it creates kind of a high contrast look. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially on a large scale quilt, it can kind of look like you've, you know, blown up uh, a traditional block or something into a large size and you can actually see those stitches individually. Um, and then big stitches just, you use a little bit bigger needle, uh, you use mm-hmm. a thicker thread. And uh, mm-hmm. what I love, I use all of my, my stitches are in contrasting thread colors. Uh, and I just yeah. think it makes it really pop. Oh, it's it's lovely. I love that about your pieces. It's like you can see it because it's a little thicker, but it's also. Uh, not matching thread, so you're like, do you do you have to mark or do you? I mean, just freehand. Yeah, no, I I mark. I like the straight line look um, when mm-hmm. I'm doing my quilting. So I'm, I use pencil though, and I've found that pencil erases great from the linen that I use. Oh, okay. um, and I like the the chalk 
the chalk pencil is also great. I love that um, chalk mechanical pencil. Oh, well, that's a good tip. That's super good yeah. tip. Um, is there any special thing about the Sashiko thread that people should know about, or is it pretty standard? Um, yeah, so it, it comes in a, lot, a, a big bundle. It kind of looks like a, a skein of yarn when you first get uh-huh. it. And um, my best tip is to take that uh, skein and um, trim it in a certain way so that you can braid it. And once you braid okay. it, uh, there's a little knot on top, and you can pull an individual strand out, and it's the perfect length for hand quilting. Um, and it travels easily, and it keeps all your threads, all your strands and your thread nice and tidy. So I love that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and you um, you carry that actually on your website, don't you? Yeah, yep, I do. I, I uh-huh. carry my favorite my favorite type. So yep, yeah, you can buy yeah. them. My so wife, if somebody just wants to try it, you can just get it from Rianne. So that's easier. <laughs> that's searching it out. That's like <laughs> so. So I love your your book, your new book called Inheritance. Tell me about it. So Inheritance, um, I self published it, and it was released last December, um, and it's a nod to. Those days, learning how to quilt from my grandmother. Um, mm. I am a, I'm 20 something now, and uh, I just I think that it's so important to be able to carry on that tradition um, of quilting. And and for so many of us, we learned from our grandmothers, our mothers, or someone in the family. And it's it's really it's passed down. Um, and I do kind of consider it to be somewhat of an inheritance of mine that she gave to me. Yeah. So it's a book of patterns. Um, they're all in my style. That that big minimalist kind of large-scale piecing, uh, but there's also a lot of beginner-friendly things. So uh, you can learn how to hand quilt. You can learn how to do large-scale piecing. Um, I talk a little bit about applique, and it's just it's kind of just got something for everyone. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Did you write stories to go with each quilt? They're, they're all kind of tied into a theme. So um, <laughs> I wrote the book kind of uh, when I was newly married, so... I was building my home, and all of these quilt designs kind of have a nod to my idea of home. So that's oh. kind of the thread throughout is, yeah. is there are little stories about the designs and, and what they all mean. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty neat. You know, I I love how when you get a self-published book, it's got this sort of extra layer of personality to it, I think, um, that's just different. It's uh, It must have been a lot of work. It was so much work, <laughs> but it was so fun. And, um, yeah. you know, the best part about it was I got to work with my sister on it. She's a designer. Um, so we were kind of in it together and, uh, it gave us the reason to hang out and do work and support each other. And, um, it's just, it's so much more special because of that. Oh, that is really neat. I like that part. Get, get, uh, yeah. get, get that extra layer in there. Of, <laughs> and of she did family. an amazing job. She's so yeah. good. So it was, it was a joy. Mm-hmm. So we'll switch gears here. Um, Tell me uh, a little bit about what you do with the Modern Quilt Guild for those who aren't familiar with the guild. Sure, yeah. So um, I'm the communications manager for the MQG. Um, I've been working there for about uh, four years now. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah, it's a long time. Um, But I do do the emails. I I, uh, help with social media. I help with QuiltCon. Um, Yeah. I do, I host the webinars, so you might have seen me do mm-hmm. some of that. Um, and it's just so fun. I, I just feel so lucky that I get to do my day job in quilting and work with some really incredible people. Do you have a local chapter that you're able to go to? Yeah, so I, I live in Des Moines, Iowa, 
and uh, we have the Central Iowa MQG, um, and they are so talented. I am, I am just astounded every time I see stuff that they make because they're incredible um, and such a, a great group of people, and I love that connection to you know, a local quilting community is so great. Right. And the Modern Quilt Guild, for, for those that are not real familiar with its structure, it is sort of a worldwide guild with local chapters. So it's kind of like taking what your local guild is like, but making it quite big, you know, so it's quite, uh, and very, very much a, a lot of online parts to the Modern Quilt Guild that mm-hmm. traditional guilds just don't have because they don't have that, stru- that umbrella structure. Uh, so like mm-hmm. the webinars. So that's a very cool feature you have. Yeah, it's fun, and they're all recorded so people can watch them later. Um, and, yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy because the, the MQG now has over 15,000 members, um, and they're scattered around the world. So it's it's really a great global community to be a part of. Yeah. So do you travel to teach? I do, yeah. Um, I teach hand quilting, and I teach modern quilt design. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, last year, a really fun place that I was able to teach was at a brewery. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, it was it was so fun, and the class came with a free beer included, and we just we just sat and had beers and learned how to hand sew. So it was it was yeah. super fun. That, yeah, that sounds. I, I like that kind of class. You need. So are you looking for more breweries now? That's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to teach at more <laughs> more breweries, and if anyone um, yeah wants to join me for a beer and some hand sewing, I'm always yeah. always down for that. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that just cracks me up. Um, is there a place that you want to go to see quilts that is sort of on your bucket list? Oh, my my major bucket list item is the um, Tokyo Quilt Festival. Um, oh, yeah. I just, I've never been, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've never been to Japan. I think I'd come home with three extra suitcases full of fabric <laughs> and thread, uh, but it would be amazing. Yeah, I might not go home if I went there. I just think <laughs> it would just, I'd just stay. You know, it's like, okay. Send my suitcase. Yes. It's like, then, yeah, and the dog. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That's my uh that's one of my dreams too, uh is is that show. It's just looks so amazing when you see it online. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so where is next Thank year's you. modern quilt guild uh show? Yeah, so QuiltCon uh will be held in Austin in twenty twenty. And uh it's the first two shows were there in Austin, so we're super excited to be back. Um, it'll be so fun. And what month is that in? Uh, February. And I don't have the exact dates right now, but I think it's around the 18th to the yeah. 21st, maybe. Um, third week, third weekend in uh, February. Yeah, People can go to quiltcon.com and find out all that info. And so uh, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love I love your show, and I, I'm so excited to be here. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> so everybody can visit and see all of Rianne's work at it's R-I-A-N-E-E-L-I-S-E.com, and I'll have a link to that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. We'll be right back after the break.
sewing machine is the heart and soul of my design process, and working on a machine that clicks with me makes it easy for me to create. That's why I use a variety of baby lock machines, especially the Crescendo. Baby lock has thought through everything I need to have to create amazing quilts. I love that the control panel on my Crescendo is so intuitive and easy to use. Best of all, it's large enough to see clearly. The Crescendo's features remind me that everything Baby Lock does is for the love of sewing. Do you want to learn something new? Solve a sewing problem? Or simply be inspired to start a new project? Moda Fabrics is here to help, and it won't cost you a thing. Visit modafabrics.com for free patterns, computer wallpapers, sewing tips and reference guides, and fun sewing printables. You can even find coordinating Moda Bella solids, or fill threads and hex values to any image uploaded with the new Palette Builder tool. Visit modafabrics.com and click on Free and Fun to find all this and more. And for free and fun right in your social feed, follow Moda Fabrics on Instagram. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan. Teresa Jerway, uh, Teresa Jerway Wong, hope I said that right, Teresa, is Durier, an author. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. Ah, sorry. She is an author, storyteller, and she's a quilt maker. So, Teresa, I am. I just love uh, your books, and I'm so pleased that you could be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been a listener for years, so it's oh. um, it's quite a treat to be on here. Well, your newest book is what I uh, you know, sort of came across and why I just said, okay, we got to talk, we got to talk. You are a journalist and a writer by your your trade and what you've done for a very long time, and your newest book is called American Cotton Farm to Quilt, which is so clever. I totally love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so, so, but when did you first quilt? I have been quilting about 20 years. Um, I sewed a lot as a little girl, and um, I made my own clothes, and my grandmother quilted, but I never made quilts until a friend of mine uh, showed me how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always, somebody's like, there's always an instigator there's a lot of, for a lot of us. It's like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Somebody says, you need to learn. And you're like, no, I don't think so, and then you're hooked. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> well, when I, I went to her house, and I saw her quilts, and they just, you know, she's just a, an amazing artist, and I recognized that they were such a beautiful art form, and I said, oh, you have to teach me this, so, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, you it, was, it was an easy sell, in other words. <laughs> yes, been hooked um, ever since. Now, you've written uh, for the quilt industry, you've, you know, quilters or people who love quilts, you've, you've written these couple of books with about Japanese quilt making, uh, contemporary quilts, yeah. cotton and indigo. So what got you started with writing about quilts in Japan? I've always been a writer. I've been writing my whole career, and I mm-hmm. had a like a big fat corporate job that I left in 2013. And I decided it's finally time to do what I want to do instead of, mm-hmm. you know, what you always have to do for a real job. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was, a, I kind of became like a groupie of Japanese fabric years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And I had started, you know, kind of studying the quilters and learning more about them. And, and so in 2013, when I left my job, I said, this is my, this is my opportunity. I'm just going to grab it. And so I just went mm-hmm. full time into researching and I was also getting my master's at Rice University. 
So that really helped me sort of formalize the way I do research. And then I took off and went to Japan and did all this um, on-the-ground research and met with people and went into quilters' homes, and it was just fantastic. And um, eventually that was when my first book came out. So do you speak Japanese? I do not, no. Oh, And I, um, a lot of people speak English. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a fantastic translator that I travel with. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people, if they don't speak English, they have a husband or a son or daughter or somebody that is proficient that would come and translate Ah, for us. Okay. So you, so you didn't find it to be too difficult? No. In fact, it's so easy to get around Japan. Everything is bilingual and the trains are wonderful and it's a very, very easy country to travel in. Now, in the, your books are full of stories, so they're not they're not pattern books. They're Correct. they're stories. And in tell me one of the stories from either of your Japanese ones, just briefly. Like, what type of things did you write about? Well, I write in uh, cotton and indigo from Japan, for example. I tell the story mm-hmm. of an indigo dyer who's committed one hundred percent to using all natural indigo. And so he lives in this beautiful, you know, historic sort of mountain village and I kind of outside Kyoto and I traveled up there and, you know, met with him and spent time with him in his studio. And so my books really tell stories. They're not, they're sort of, they're not that dry academic kind of research and they're Mm -hmm. not pattern or how to, they're really about people and, um, you know, and textiles and their connection to quilting and history and Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things are very. People tell me they're very readable um, and right. very enjoyable to read. Right, they're they're just amazing books. I mean, they're really very different. You know, I see a lot of books, um, yeah. f- and so I find that it's just lovely to have this whole different take. Uh, when you have to lay something out like that, when you're trying to build your whole book story, this you know that you will go in there. You know, do you, you must collect like a lot of things, and they can't all fit in. Correct. Yeah. And it's a very long process (laughs) and it's quite lonely, but I love that. You know, I just, I will spend three or four or five months, uh, almost nonstop at the computer, you know, and Mm -hmm. then I, you know, I travel and go out and do on-site research and all of that. But yeah, it takes a lot of time, um, to shape all these ideas into a story. Where do you begin? And, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you end the story? all of those things. It's, I just love it, though. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk, let's focus a little bit um, more then on, on your newest book. So we can uh-huh. take, take, take some more time and just go through that one called American Cotton, From Farm to Quilt. What started you with the idea to write this book? You know, interestingly, when I was researching my cotton and indigo from Japan, I started researching cotton and Japan's cotton and where it comes from. And about 40% of Japan's cotton comes from America. So Mm -hmm. I started, you know, kind of talking to American cotton farmers just uh, initially several years ago about their cotton and their exports to Japan. And I thought, well, I'm going to come back and finish this story because I thought it was so fascinating so that's what I've done, and I've spent about a year um, out in the field researching and talking to farmers. And so it's it's not, you know, a 500-year history of cotton, but it tells you what's mm-hmm. happening in the cotton fields right now. And that's mm-hmm. a really, really interesting story. Um, it also talks about the textile industry for the last um, 100 years 
and mm-hmm. its connection to quilting cotton, like when it was made and when it stopped being made in America. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it talks a lot about a couple of different companies that are bringing back American-made uh, quilting cotton and American-made cotton. So you have a lot of uh, nice photos in here where they're old. You know, you've done research and brought you know older photos in to be able to tell the the story of the history as it's, as it's gone through. What tell me first a bit about cotton being grown? I mean, when you went out to the farms, you know, where the mm-hmm. cotton fields, what surprised you? Anything? A couple of things. Well, I live in Texas, and you know, Texas <laughs> uh, grows almost half of America's cotton crop. Ah. So from one state, so I didn't mm-hmm. have to go too far <laughs> to, <laughs> to meet with a lot of cotton farmers. That was pretty fun. Yeah. The other thing that I learned um, about cotton farming today, which I think is so fascinating, is the way technology has changed everything. Mm-hmm. And it won't be that much further into the future where one man or one woman can farm a couple of thousand acres of cotton alone mm-hmm. just because of the way the technology has changed everything. So that's like a big aha moment. Mm-hmm. Um, these the amazing uh, tractors and combines that they drive that cost, you know, three quarters of a million dollars, and mm-hmm. they do everything in one fell swoop, and it's just right. amazing to see it. Yeah. They look like buildings. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I think that's so fascinating about cotton farms is they're they're still very much family owned. Mm. You hear people say all the time that you know corporations are taking over farming, but. For America's uh, crops, row crops, that mm-hmm. is completely not true. Ninety-nine percent of American crop farms are still family-owned. So yeah, you're really that's... dealing with, you know, these salt of the earth people that just love what they do. Yeah, and passing it down to their children or their family members. Sometimes, uh, yeah. Sometimes, okay. Yeah. So in the book here, you have. Uh, a little bit of the history of fabric in the stores, and then you also have a few sprinklings in of quilt makers we know today that are, you know, they're not, you know, they're current, current quilt makers. Yeah. Uh, so how did you, you, like, pick one of them? Like, like, a little bit you talked about Ginny Beyer, who actually lives just up the street from me. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> l- literally 15 minutes probably from my house oh, if wow. there's no traffic. Um, So, and then you uh, selected a few others and picked their quilts. How did you decide who to talk about? So what I tried to say in the book, in addition to, you know, how and where textiles were made, you know, the beginning of the 20th century, but how did women shop for fabric, especially if you were on the farm um, before 1950? How did, you know, there weren't a plethora of quilt shops. So I just thought it was so interesting to try to find out where people shop for fabric. And then as, you know, sort of quilting had this big rejuvenation in the late 70s, the 1980s were the real golden years for quilt shops to, Mm -hmm. you know, come of age. And Jenny Beyer had the very first um, commercial quilt fabric collection for independent quilt shops. Mm. And that came out in 1981. And so that was like a big deal. There, Of course, there was quilt fabric in the box stores, um, but not, not just for the, you know, not something really that high quality for the quilt shop. So that was really the very first collection. Um, so I wrote about her for that. Um, and then to kind of go from there, the other contemporary quilt makers that I feature are all working with American made fabric. 
So fabric that's grown in the U.S. and the textiles are made in the U.S. And primarily that's the American-made brand, cotton Mm -hmm. solid fabric. Right. So we we have about two minutes. So tell me a little bit about what you learned about the the company that's now producing their cotton here again. All I mean, producing the fabric all here again. Yeah, I, I traveled um, up to their uh, offices in Seattle, and we also traveled to the textile mills in South Carolina. And it's so interesting how difficult it was of a journey for them to bring back quilting cotton in America. Um, they had to disrupt the mills, and, and they also had to essentially re sort of take them back to their history and help them learn how to work with 100% cotton textile again. So mm-hmm. that was so interesting in talking to the textile um, guys that are working there. It was They just thought it was so interesting because, you know, hardly anything is made with 100% cotton anymore. Right. And this is cloth works in case you missed, um, you know, somebody missed hearing that uh, earlier. Yeah, so yes. It's cloth-, cloth works and their division is American made brand, which they started right. about six years ago. Right. Yeah. I actually did a little project when they kicked that off. They did a, a state by state and I was the Virginia state for oh, their wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it was just it's super, super cool to to be involved with that and know that it's available if people want to use it. It's all it's all solids. I don't know if it's changed from that. It's, but It's still all solids. Yes. They have about um, 87 colors. And yeah. I write about some other companies in my book as well that are Another uh, company, a father-daughter company in Alabama, they're making commercial products, uh, towel sheets, and commercial quilts from cotton grown on their own farm. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. Good gravy. There's just, like, it's never enough time to talk to somebody, Teresa, because <laughs> we're <laughs> we, everybody needs to get American uh, cotton. Get your book, American Cotton, Farm to Table. It is such an incredible book, and, and the other two books are equally marvelous. Uh, do you travel and give talks? I do, yes. I travel. Um, I give a lot of uh, Quilt Guild lectures, and um, I just love that's the fun part of going out and bringing these stories to life. And um, I have a lot of fun doing it and meet a lot of wonderful quilters. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Pat. It was a pleasure. We'll be right back after the break. to talk for a minute about Baby Lock. They're passionate about sewing and they're the most knowledgeable group that I've worked with. They want to make all of our experiences successful. Baby Lock is wonderfully realistic when it comes to their machine lineup. They have a range of machines in various categories and a variety of features. If you don't need a certain function, you can just find a machine that fits you. And best of all, they include my designs on the new Solaris. Start at the beginning. Design your next quilt like the pros. Quilt designers Nancy Mahoney and Alice Blythe both use Electric Quilt 8 software to design their gorgeous quilts, and you can too. Get EQ8 and start designing just minutes after you purchase. Podcast listeners, take 20% off through May 31st, 2019 with code 
pod eq8 that's p o d e q8 get more info at electricquilt.com/apq Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I am Pat Sloan. I just love the name of Cassandra Beaver's website, The Not-So-Dramatic Life. Uh, and there's actually a reason why that she chose that for her name. She has a rich background in theater and the, the parts of theater about construction. And so that just made me I have a great big smile on my face. So I was like, oh, that's why she calls it that. So, Cassandra, I'm so glad you're here. I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you today. Yeah, it's always fun to you know, to meet people and be able to get on here and and have sort of learn more about what you do. Uh, you know, your your business ain't being the the not so dramatic life. You know, when you were doing your your work in the theater and the stage and stuff, did you have to make quilts at all? I never had to make quilts. Um, I worked a lot in both scenic and costume design and construction, mm-hmm. and. I spent about 15 years doing that. My master's degree is in uh, scenic design, mostly. Mm. And I didn't quilt much during that period of time, but I always sewed. There were always props to make and costumes to construct. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm fascinated that there's a degree in that. It's like I had no idea that you could. And then did you also teach at the college? I did. I taught at a couple of universities, and I managed a university costume shop and worked for a couple of professional theaters over the years. Um, And uh, I was often on short contracts uh, when I taught. So uh, one time I ended up without a contract, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to go back to quilting. Yeah. So how do you think your – the work that you did all those years of making things, how did that trans, how does that translate into your quilts? Well, there's certainly after all of the unusual things that I've made, there's uh, no fear in making something <laughs> two dimensional. Right. Um, and I also learned a lot about seeking out very specific references and where our place in history and time and community relate to the work that we do. So mm-hmm. I'm all about seeking out inspiration every place. And, of course, I have a, pers- a particular affinity for architectural detail. Mm-hmm. And um, I look for patterns and repetition every place. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like it's sort of like a radar, isn't it? You just don't even know you're doing it and you're sort of deconstructing. How can that be a quilt now? That's like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we, we all do that to some level. You know, we'll look at things and think I, I can make that a quilt. Um, when you first started back at making, what type of quilts were you making? What was the style? The first kind of quilt that I wanted to make was a potholder quilt because a few years before that I had seen an exhibit at the Wadsworth Athenaeum in Hartford, Connecticut, and they had a potholder quilt there, and I'd never seen one in person before, and that is a piece that each member of a community would make a quilt block, they'd quilt it, and they'd bind it, and then they'd all get together and sew those quilt blocks together. 
and it was often sent to um, – they were charity quilts sent to the Civil mm-hmm. War um, to provide comfort for the soldiers. Are those uh, the ones that are so, real dimensional, Cassandra? They have some dimension to them, okay. um, but it's – one of the things I liked about this particular quilt was they not only designed – the quilt block on the front, but then they wrote messages of encouragement to mm. the uh, to the people receiving the quilts on the back. So it became a two sided quilt, oh, and neat. I wanted to um, I wanted to really embrace that. So uh, when I designed my first quilt, when I returned to quilting, it was a log cabin style quilt, but instead of piecing the blocks. It all became uh, each segment I made as an individual mini quilt, essentially, and then constructed the quilt around it. And so one side was uh, shades of gray, and the other side was shades of blue. Oh, neat, 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 neat. You know, I I would imagine that because what you did with theater, you had to you had a story or a purpose. Do you find you know, do you find that you bring that into your quilts now? Just that what you said sort of indicates that. Yes, I think that every quilt has a story. Some are a little mm-hmm. more detailed than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of what I'm also looking at, most of my quilts are pretty modern. And so I love the negative space aesthetic in particular. Mm-hmm. So I am also exploring some minimalism. And mm-hmm. so the question that I ask myself as I design is, when I add a detail, is that helping the story or is that taking something away from the story? Mm. And some quotes mm. need more and some quotes need less. Yeah. That's a good question to ask even if you're not, you know, you're just making anything, isn't it? Just, you know, any kind of quilt. Like, does it add or, you know, anything? Do I need it? Yes, because sometimes your quilt does need it and other times it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're like, definitely it needs it. Yeah, that's like sometimes we're like that. <laughs> Now, now you um, have award-winning quilts. You you enter your quilts in competition. Uh, when made you go that route with a quilt? Um, well, the first time I entered a competition uh, was when I was in high school, and it was a quilted garment for the American Quilter Society show in Paducah, Kentucky, when they had a fashion show. Mm-hmm. I and remember those. <laughs> I had, and I had a student entry uh, twice, two different mm-hmm. years. Um, and my mom had always quilted. So we had gone to the show together once, and I saw that that was an option and an opportunity, and I couldn't help myself. I really wanted to participate in it. Mm-hmm. So when I returned to quilting, then I really wanted a quilt in the show instead of just a garment. Right, right, right. <laughs> And you have a piece in the National Quilt Museum. How did that happen? I do. I have a friend that uh, I'd gone to undergrad with, and she works for the National Quilt Museum now. And one time I was in Paducah, and we had lunch, and we started chatting. And I said, well, they said they didn't have uh, anything uh, particularly in the modern aesthetic and I said, well, I might have a quilt. Do you think they'd be interested? And so that started our conversation. And uh, now my quilt, uh, Infused Plaid, lives mm-hmm. at the National Quilt Museum. That's just fabulous. What a what a very um, great and unique way to have your work be shown to people through the museum. Um, 
your quilt, your plaid. Have you done, you've done a couple of those plaids? Is it kind of like in a series? Yes, and I'm still in the midst of the series. I come oh. to it periodically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so infused plaid was the first plaid quilt, and it received awards at QuiltCon, and it's in the uh, Modern Quilt Guild's book. And it also received awards at uh, some AQS shows, and now it's at the museum. And then I did a quilt called Pivoted Plaid that was another interpretation, and it traveled with the Modern Quilt Guild's exhibit last year. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm working on another uh, quilt that is plaid and the placement of the colorful squares that determine my plaid placement because the plaid Mm -hmm. is formed by the quilting stitches. Mm-hmm. Um, I used a random number generator to determine how oh. this plaid was laid out. Oh, neat. That's cool. It's a fun twist on it, on figuring it out. What are, yes, what I is, like what to. Are some of your, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I, I like to try and make everything a little bit different, take on a new, uh, have a new take on things. Oh, and I had another plaid quilt that was just at QuiltCon and, uh, the AQS Paducah show that uh, has a little bit uh, more detail to it. It's diamonds instead of squares. So, yeah. So, what techniques are you using when you're, um, you know, to make your quilts? What are your favorite techniques? It depends on what kind of quilt I'm making. Um, for my plaid quilts, I love matchstick quilting. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how I use the really create the thread through the quilting process. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to do matchstick quilting. I do it in a lot of different thread weights so mm-hmm. that some areas have a heavier weight visually than other areas. Oh, okay. Um, I also enjoy uh, using different weights of thread in the same project, even if it's not matchstick quilted. I think it adds mm-hmm. an interesting texture and matchstick quilting for people who aren't familiar is very close straight lines. Yes, about an eighth of an inch apart. Ooh, takes forever. It does. <laughs> and I can't stop for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Are you doing that on a domestic machine or a long arm? I use both types of machines. Uh, most of my plaid quilts end up being done on my domestic machine because a lot of the time I'm trying to use unusual angles and I don't want to do a lot of stopping and starting. Mm-hmm. Now you also have a series. and I think this is how I found you because someone made one of the blocks in your Columbus cityscape uh, that's going on and shared it within my group. And I was like, that is super cool. Who designed that? And so that's how I found you. What is the project, the Columbus cityscape? That's one of my very favorite projects that I've ever done. It's a block of the month that I uh, have teamed up with a local shop, uh, Dabble and Stitch, here in Columbus, Ohio. And I have designed 12 major land uh, quilt blocks to represent 12 major landmarks in Columbus. And so each month we look at the library or the art museum. Um, We did a polar bear to represent our zoo. Um, 
Oh, and so each block tells a little bit of a story about the community. And it comes back to that idea of our place in the world. And mm-hmm. this one's a more literal interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it has we've had a lot of fun with it. It has, it has all lots of architecture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it paper pieced? Yes, it's foundation paper pieced. Yeah, yeah, because there's looks like a lot of little windows in some of those buildings. Oh. Yes, I I promised when we started that I wouldn't make anything smaller than an eighth of an inch, and I think I only broke that promise once. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And and this is ongoing now in 2019? We're finishing it up, and then this summer we're going to start a new block of the month, and it's going to focus on zoo animals. So it'll be a a desirable project no matter where you are in the country. Right now, Columbus is rather specific. Right, right. Yeah, it's very specific. Yeah, so so people can follow you. uh, Are you via your, your website? Also, are you on Instagram? Yes, yes so I'm probably the most active on Instagram, and okay. my uh, handle is Cassandra.Beaver. There, there you go. Super easy to remember. This has been fabulous. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was fun to talk to you. Fun to talk to you, too. <laughs> so this is American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. Uh, if you would come out and visit me online, I have a Facebook group at Quilt Along with Pat Sloan, and it's uh, quilters from all around the world, and we do all kinds of fun things, and that's where I saw Cassandra's blog being shown by one of her you know, followers, and then visit American Patchwork and Quilting online, too, and we will chat again next week. all and thanks for listening if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast app and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us have a creative week